Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 41, we're going to pick up where we left off. This is going to be in verse 37. And so far what we've looked at, this is basically the uh, the account of Joseph being pulled from the prison by Pharaoh. Pharaoh has these troubling dreams. He finds out that there might be a guy, a Hebrew, that's in the prison that might be able to help him interpret these dreams. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph to be brought. Joseph is brought before the most powerful man in that part of the world at that time. And Joseph, uh, no problem. God's got this. We can do this. And uh, he hears the dreams. He provides the interpretations. And not only does he provide the interpretations, he gives advice to the Pharaoh. After giving the interpretations, basically saying that your your land is going to have seven wonderful years and then it's going to have seven terrible years, he could have left it at that because that's the translation of the dreams. He ends up going further than that, and he gives advice to the Pharaoh, and he says in verse 33, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming, and store grain under the authority of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities." Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. And that's where we left off. So his advice, which was not solicited, but which he gave freely, was you need a discerning and wise man. You need somebody to be in charge of this project. All right? Like well, Cindy has a project, Esther has a project, uh, Pharaoh needs somebody to be in charge of this project that he's got going on. So verses 37, 38, 39 are basically what we're going to be looking at today. That's the text or the springboard for our study today. In verse 37, somebody mind reading verse 37, and then I'll look for somebody to read verse 38, and then I'll look for somebody to read verse 39, and then we'll jump in and talk about it a little bit. Somebody want to read verse 37? So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriella. And if I could say one thing about that verse, I guess, notice that it's the advice that's good in the eyes of Pharaoh. It's not the interpretation. He doesn't say anything about the interpretation. He's more impressed by the advice that was given by Joseph. Somebody might read verse 38. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Mm, Thank you, Irene. A man in whom is the Spirit of God. This is actually the first mention in the Bible of the Holy Spirit coming upon a man. We'll look at that a little bit more in just a, a bit. Verse 39, somebody mind reading that one? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. What were the qualities, what were the character traits that Joseph recommended Pharaoh look for in a man to put in charge? If you look at verse 33, what were those character traits? Discerning and wise. Discerning and wise. And what does Pharaoh use to describe? What phrase does Pharaoh use to describe Joseph? 
wise. Discerning and wise. So it sounds like Joseph got to lay out the job description, and he paints a picture that in Pharaoh's eyes, that's you. <laughs> Who else could it be? Right. So there's two qualities. Pharaoh is choosing Joseph. Two qualities that he sees that stand out especially in verses 38 and 39. One of the qualities in verse 38 and one of the qualities, of, of kind of a co-quality thing in verse 39, the discerning and wise part. What's the quality in verse 38? It's a man in whom is the Spirit of God. Exactly right. So we're going to talk a little bit about today, a little bit about the Holy Spirit today. (laughs) When I say a little bit, you can see you've got two pages of fill-in-the-blank things. The longest one I've ever made for any of these studies. Uh, I think we can make it through because we're going to move fast. You know I have a propensity for moving fast sometimes when there's more material. (laughs) So Levette's like, oh dear, here we go. (laughs) Didn't bring my machine. Okay, you're off the hook then. All right, so let's talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is one of those things that a lot of times your modern-day Christian usually thinks of the Holy Spirit as being a New Testament concept only. They don't recognize that the Spirit is actually active in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament passages. All right? So we're going to look at a little bit of that. One of the things that I want to draw your attention, and we'll jump right into the the fill-in-the-blank form right there, your first one right there, it says the Spirit was active... The Spirit was active during the creation. The Spirit was active during the creation. I've given you just two little verses there to, to point you to that a little bit. But Genesis 1-2, that's the passage that talks about the, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. So the Spirit was active during the creation. I have Genesis 1-2 there, and then Job 26-13, the first part of Job 26-13. Esther, I see your thumb. Are you already in Job? If you are, you, you're welcome already, to read it. I already went to Job. Do you already, oh, you're already past, Joe. Oh, I'm already past. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Not a problem. So basically, I'll just summarize. Job 26, 13a basically says it was the Spirit who was involved in the laying out of the heavens. All right. Moving on to the second one. The Spirit brings life. life. Good job. Esther's already guessing that. <laughs> she loves doing that. She loves moving ahead. The Spirit brings life. If you remember, and you'll see one of the references I have there is Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Let's look at that real quick. We're in the book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Somebody mind reading that? And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Mm, I don't see the Spirit anywhere in there. Where's the spirit in there? Breath. 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 Breathed. Ruach. All right. Say it, say it right for me, Esther. I'm not sure I even say it right. Ruach. So there's no... Oh, there is a... At the end. Okay. <laughs> right. There's a... At the end. When you look in your translation and you see that word breath there, the word ruach in Hebrew, that word carries the meaning both breath and spirit. All right. So breath and spirit... Same word, same word in Hebrew that we're looking at right here, the the Ruach. All right, so what happens? God breathes, and what happens? Life is formed. In this case, God gives his spirit. All right, God gives the spirit, and there's life. All right, it's the same word. All right. Uh, one of the other verses that you can see right there is Psalm 104.30. we got too many verses to actually turn to it. If you want to, you can, or you can use it for further study later on. And it's Psalm chapter 104, verse 30. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it talks about the Spirit being involved in, in the giving of life. and, and that. Uh, you have it? All right, go for it, Irene. When you send your Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Excellent. Thank you, Irene. So the Spirit being involved in the giving of life. The third one. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. We're going to look at the first part of that verse. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, the first part. What does that say? 
And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So what would be our fill-in-the-blank here using the language that Mike's translation has? Strives. There you go. The spirit strives with what mankind. What does striving with something mean? It means running alongside. The spirit runs alongside. You can also say contends with. This is sort of a fulfillment of sorts that you see in, or sort of the kind of same thing going on in John chapter 16, verse 8. John chapter 16, verse 8. Verse eight. Somebody mind reading that one? I love hearing the pages, and I love seeing the fingers are all swiping. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things we do in Sunday school every once in a while. We get our kids, okay, everybody, mm-hmm. turn to the book of Psalms, you know, and they're all looking for the battle, you know. And then you throw in a zinger, and you go, okay, turn to the book of Hezekiah, you know. And there is no book of Hezekiah, but they, they're looking for it. They're looking for it. <laughs> all right. What does it say there, John 16, 8? When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Spirit convicts. Convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. All right, it seems like uh, it's kind of the same thing that's going on there. The spirit striving with mankind. How about uh, the next one? Uh, I did a little fun. I had a little fun with this one. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 28, verse 3. Exodus chapter 28, verse 3. The context, while you're looking for this, the context is God gives Moses the plans. The plans for the tabernacle, which is going to be a model for the temple. All right, so the plans for the tabernacle... (laughs) And the furnishings and the furniture. All right, so that's your backdrop. And then what does it say? Somebody might reading Exodus 28, verse 3. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. Excellent. Thank you, Cindy. What are artisans? An artisan is an artist. Artisan? Good. All right, we got artists. The spirit animates godly artists and you'll see i've got quite a few references because it comes up several different times where these people have giftings have abilities have talents that are in the classification of artistry they're in the arts and god is infusing them blessing them giving them the creativity if you will to engage in their artistry all right so that's what they're doing the spirit animates godly artists and i put animates i just had a little fun there i had to make it animates because then you know artistic and animation oh sorry Mm -hmm. just had a little fun with it all right the spirit animates godly artists how about the next one the spirit blank leaders what do you suppose this is going to be and i've got a couple examples here let me paint the picture othniel othniel is the first of the judges if you look at the book of judges You've got uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. It's near the front of your Bible. It's after the children of Israel have been led out of Egypt. And Moses is their leader, and then Moses dies, and then Joshua is the leader, and then Joshua dies. And And then what happens next? You've got the judges. The judges are individuals that some of them reluctantly step forward. Other ones step forward uh, willingly. But they basically become the leaders. All right, These are the individuals who lead for that period of time that God calls them to lead. Othniel is the first one. All right, And then Jephthah, he's one of the other ones. Gideon is a judge. Samson is a judge. There's so many verses we could turn to, but let's, let's jump into Samson. Turn to Judges 14. Judges chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. I've got down there verse 6, but let's look at verse 5 as well. Judges chapter 14, verses 5 and 6. This is Samson. Somebody mind reading that one? So Samson went out to Timnah with his father and mother, came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hands. 
but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriella. So can you get this picture? So he's walking with his mom and his dad. He's going from place A to place B. They're walking through this area of a vineyard. He gets separated from his mom and his dad by some distance. And then this young lion comes roaring and comes out after him, and he tears it apart. And it says, like, somebody would tear apart a young goat. I don't know how you tear apart a young goat. I don't get the correlation. I would think that would be kind of difficult by itself. But apparently the Spirit of God comes upon him, gives him strength, and he's able to best this ferocious beast, right? As if it's not a ferocious beast, as if it's a, you know, a mild beast. He takes this lion, he's able to rip it apart, the Spirit of God being upon him when that happens. This is the pattern that you're going to see a lot in these judges, where the Spirit of God comes upon a particular person and empowers them for a particular season, a particular time. And in some cases it passes and uh, and it, it's just it's just for the moment. It's just for the occasion. All right. Samson though, he has some other ones. Let's uh, jump over to chapter 15 and let's look at verses 14 and 15 there. I've got it verse 14 on your fill in the blanks, but we could look at verses 14 and 15. Somebody might reading chapter 15 verses 14 and 15 again about Samson. When he came to Lahi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. How about one more verse? Oh, I'm sorry. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, and took it and killed a thousand men with it. <laughs> okay, so get this picture. All right, so Samson's enemies are so mad at him that they want to take him prisoner. And uh, they come to get him. And the people in the area where Samson is at say, we're really nervous, Samson, because they're coming to get you. And, you know, no offense, but you're creating problems. The neighborhood's kind of unsafe now because now all these people are coming to get you. And Samson says, you know what, don't worry about it. Hand me over to them. And so they bind him and they take him away. And then the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he's able to break those ropes that they've used to secure him. And not only does he break free, he's able to kill a thousand of his enemies with the jawbone of a donkey. The Spirit of God being the empowering for that moment, for that occasion, for that incident. All right. In Samson's life, you see the Spirit of God come upon him in several different instances, more so than in some of those other characters there. Let's jump to the last one that I've got there, David. How about 1 Samuel? So if you're in Judges, it's Joshua Judges, Ruth, and then 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's look at that one for just a moment. As I was saying, maybe you have the Spirit of God being mentioned passing uh, for Othniel. Mm -hmm. The Spirit of God mentioned once for Jephthah. You've got the Spirit of God mentioned once for Gideon. You've got it for Samson several times. We're going to look at David now. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Somebody mind reading that one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Ooh, oh, okay. So, and just what Esther read right there, did you catch that? It, did it say the Spirit of the Lord was on him for that day? Mm-hmm. Was it upon him for, for an hour, for a day, for a week, a month? Or was it something longer than that? Mm-hmm. What does it say there? Well, from day, from, from the that day, day forward. Right, so in the in the situations with the others, it seems to be that the Spirit of God has poured upon their lives for an incident, for a moment, for maybe a battle, maybe to best their enemies. In this case, you have the Spirit of the Lord being poured upon him, and it says it's on him from the rest for the rest of his life. Now, here's the interesting thing: in case you want to know the background of this story, basically, Saul, first king of Israel, right, starts off well, doesn't end well. 
the Spirit of the Lord is put upon Saul. And this list that I've given you is not the whole thing. All right. So in Saul's case, the Spirit of the Lord is put upon Saul. And then the Spirit is taken away from Saul. All right. So first king started well, didn't end well. And then Samuel is brokenhearted because this is supposed to be the king. And the Spirit started with him and the Spirit's not with him anymore. And now what are we going to do? And God says, don't be sad anymore. I got somebody already picked to take Saul's place. It's not going to happen right away, but you can go ahead and go anoint him. And so Samuel goes to the place that he knows that the anointing is going to take place. He goes to the family where the son's going to come from. And he he looks at the first one, right? He goes to Jesse, and Jesse's nervous. And he's got eight boys. And what are you doing here? I'm not sure why you're here. Is this good news, bad news? And then what happens is uh, Samuel says, I'm here to anoint the next king. Let me see your sons. And so they come in one at a time. It sounds like starting from the oldest going to the youngest. And the oldest comes in. Samuel goes, this, surely this is the guy. Take a look at him. I mean, he's, he's got it going on. He's got the look of a king. And God says, no, 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 no. I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. That's where that famous passage comes from. And then one by one, David's brothers come through and nope, 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 nope. God is telling Samuel, nope, 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 nope. It's not these guys. Until at the end, he says, aren't, aren't there any more? And he turns to Jesse, David's father, aren't there any more? And Jesse says, well, you know, there's the runt. <laughs> we got one more guy. He's, he's not even in. He's out in the field. And he says, Sam says, well, I'm not even leaving until I can at least see him. And they go get David and they bring him. And that's the passage we read about right now. David is being anointed. He will be the next king in Saul's place. And the spirit is put upon David. Unlike with Saul, where the spirit started with him and then, no, the spirit was taken away. The spirit stays with David. Next one. We'll just touch this in passing. The spirit inspires prophets. Oh, did I fill in the blank for that previous one? The spirit empowers leaders. The spirit empowers leaders. And then the next one is the Spirit inspires prophets. All right, you've talked about the inspiration of Scripture. All right, that's why I chose that word, inspired, because that's what's going on. What we read in here, these are accounts, yeah, they're, they're written by man holding a pen, putting words to parchment or, or whatever medium that they were using at the time. But they're inspired, they're moved by the Holy Spirit. All right, so the prophets, the words that are put in their mouths, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So uh, I've given you just one reference there, Ezekiel 2.2. 2. But in the interest of time, let's move on to the next one. The next one, we definitely need to look at this one. Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God. To comfort all who mourn. Excellent. Thank you, Irene. I get so excited when I hear those passages, <laughs> that passage, those verses. This is looking forward from Isaiah's perspective. This is looking forward to a day when a deliverer, a servant, a, a Messiah is to come. And this is a description, somewhat of a description of what we're looking for. Okay? Keep in mind, when we talk about the Holy Spirit... New Testament, Old Testament, we're, we're looking in the Old Testament right now. We're looking in the Tanakh. We're looking in the passages in the area of the Bible that a lot of people don't even think of as being the Holy Spirit present. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't think of any passages. These are those passages. All right. These are some of those passages. And like I said, this is a very abbreviated list. But here you've got, hey, everybody, looking forward to the day when the Messiah comes. These are some of the qualities you can expect to look for. All right. We'll talk more about that passage in a little bit. The next one, we're jumping into the New Testament passages, all right? Actually, we're just moving forward in time. I don't want to create an artificial division. But here we are, the birth of Jesus, all right? So those closely connected... Oh, by the way, did we fill in the last one? The Spirit was promised to be upon the Messiah. 
I'm moving so fast, I'm skipping right over the fill in the blank parts. All right, this river was promised to be upon the Messiah. The next one, those closely connected with Jesus' birth were filled with the Spirit. And we don't need to look all these up. I can just uh, explain them. You see some names there. I've got John the Baptist, Elizabeth, Mary, and Simeon. There's also Zacharias I didn't put in there. If you want verses to look up for those, John the Baptist, the passage to look up is Luke chapter 1, verses 13, 14, and 15, or 13 through 15. Elizabeth, this is John the Baptist's mom, all right? Elizabeth is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 41. Mary's got kind of a unique thing going on with the Holy Spirit there. That's in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Simeon, Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And then if you want to handwrite in that space over there to the right, Zacharias, Luke chapter 1, verse 67, just to paint a picture of how this all works out. You've got Zacharias and Elizabeth. Their promise that uh, they're going to have a baby boy, it's going to turn out to be John the Baptist, it was a little bit of a surprise and a shocker for them. They were pretty old, and it hadn't worked out for them to have any kids yet. And an angel appears to (laughs) Zacharias as he's performing a priestly function that uh, was not common. All right, And so the angel appears to him, says, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to be filled with spirit from his birth. Elizabeth does get pregnant, and Mary goes to visit her. They're actually related to each other. All right, so Jesus and John the Baptist are cousins. So Mary, when she's pregnant, goes to visit Elizabeth. When she goes to visit Elizabeth, whoa, the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumps, and Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. Mary is overshadowed by the Spirit when she gets pregnant. Simeon uh, is uh, when, when Mary and Joseph, after the birth of Jesus, they take Jesus to go be circumcised, and it's like he's eight days old. They go to the temple area, and then Simeon comes, and it says he's filled with the Spirit, and he says, oh, this is the promised one that we've been waiting for. God said I'd be alive to be able to see this. I'm an old man now, and God came through on his promise. So you have all these people that are closely related to the birth of Jesus being filled with the Spirit. Jesus himself, the next one, Jesus was filled with the Spirit's power. Lots of passages for that. I've just given you just a few there, uh, but Jesus filled with the Spirit's power. The next one, later on in his ministry, Jesus promised that the Spirit would come to us to help us, to comfort us, to teach us, and to remind us. And some of you might be looking at that passage, John fourteen six, and going, uh, I see one, but I don't see the other one. How come mine says comfort? And somebody else will say, mine says help. Well, because the word can be translated either way. It's the helper. It's the comforter. All right? So the word can go either way. That's why I've got both of those. So the Spirit would come, and you're filling the blanks are come, help, comfort, teach, and remind But that's the Spirit's role that was promised Jesus to his disciples concerning the Spirit. I do want to look at the last one that we we passed up a little too fast. That one there that says Jesus was filled with the Spirit's power. Turn to Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Now, as you're turning there, I want you to remember the passage that Irene just read. The one from Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Because when you think of the passage that Irene just read, I think you're going to find that what you read in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, is going to sound very familiar. Would somebody like to read that one? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
Excellent. Thank you, Gabriella. Gabriella, can you tell from your Bible who is speaking there? And it's keep, Jesus. It's Jesus. Exactly right. And how does it start out? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus himself is saying that that passage that Irene read is fulfilled in him. He's saying that that passage that Irene read from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, where Isaiah was saying, this is what you're to look for in the Messiah. Jesus is saying, you guys have been told what to look for in the Messiah. That's me. When he says this passage is fulfilled today in your hearing, he's saying that passage from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, that's me. It was describing me in advance. That's me. I fulfill what the prophet spoke Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2 that's me so Jesus is saying I am the fulfillment of that really exciting there all right sorry I'm getting goosebumps moving on let's uh, jump down to the next one that we haven't filled in yet it's the spirit came and filled and empowered all of the disciples as promised came filled and empowered And you can see there, I've got Acts chapter 2. I didn't narrow it down to one verse, two verses, or three verses. We need to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you're not familiar with this passage, this is the seminal passage from the New Testament that has to do with the Spirit. Acts chapter 2 is what's often referred to as the day of Pentecost. And I'm laying out the picture here, the scene. Jesus, he's been crucified. He's been dead. He's been buried. He's risen from the dead. He has ministered to his disciples, and 10 days ago, before this, 10 days ago, he rose up, and the clouds hid him from their sight, and the angel said, just as you see him go, he's going to come back again. That was 10 days ago, all right? And now we've got 120 of the believers, all right? Let's call them the early church, all right? Let's call them the, the original church gathering. The 120 believers, 120 disciples, they're huddling, they're hiding out. In an upper room. But they're in Jerusalem. Why are they in Jerusalem? Because it's the day of Pentecost. It's one of the three required times of year that you're supposed to be in Jerusalem. So they're in the city, but they're kind of hiding out because it's kind of sketchy out there as far as being a follower of Jesus right now because the people in charge might be mad at us. So let's just hide out in here. And Jesus had told them, wait for the Holy Spirit. So they're in there. They've got something to do. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. No idea when that's going to be, but it happens here. It happens in Acts chapter 2 on this day. And if you look at Acts chapter 2, if you look at the way it begins there, now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Wind. Remember we talked about wind? All right, the spirit. We're in the New Testament, though. This is in Greek. That idea, though, is in Hebrew. That idea of wind and spirit being the same word, that's a Hebrew word meaning wind and spirit. It's part of the background in the discussion, too, that you also see in John chapter 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, who's very familiar with Hebrew. All right, no problems with that. And he meets with Jesus at night because he's a little bit concerned about his fellow you know, leaders. And he doesn't want them to really find out. So let's meet in secret. So he meets with Jesus at night and they have a discussion about the Holy Spirit. And they have a discussion about the wind. And it's a play on words. It's that idea of the ruach, the wind, and the spirit being the same thing. Here you've got it, all right? Here you've got a mention of wind. As of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. Here's what ends up happening. They were hiding. 
They were scared. And the spirit comes upon them. They're not hiding anymore. They, they leave the room. They go out into the crowd. Who's in the crowd? People from all over the world. Why are they there? Because that's one of the feasts that requires them to be there. So they're from all over the place. And these, the 120, come out and they're proclaiming the good news of God in so many different languages. The crowd, all the individuals in the crowd are able to say, I hear them proclaiming the good news of God in a language I understand. And another one, I hear it in my language. And I hear it in my language. God is empowering them, giving them the spirit. They're speaking in other tongues. They are languages that are known. And the people in the crowd recognize that's my language. I'm hearing God being proclaimed in a language I understand. What's significant about this? Because when this feast is over and it's time for them to go back home, they're going to take that good news to all the different places that they've come from. So here, the spirit is given to the 120 disciples. They bring the message. Some of the crowd, though, they start mocking. Some of them are like, oh, they're just drunk. That's what we're witnessing. These guys are drunk. And the others go, no, this isn't drunk. And Peter stands up and he gives a sermon. It's one of the great sermons, but it's only like five minutes long. If you read the whole thing, it's the rest of chapter two. But it's basically a, a short sermon. But here's part, of, here's part of what we have here. In verse 16, Peter says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter's saying, what you're seeing here, right here, right now, is a fulfillment of Joel. He takes us back. He refers back to the book of Joel, which is one of the minor prophets, minor being a short one, not a long one. It's a short letter. He was referring back to the to the book of Joel, to the prophet Joel, and it's Ch- Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And he says this. He's quoting Joel now. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and notable day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter is saying, what you're witnessing, big crowd, is a fulfillment of what Joel said. Now you go further on and you look at the end and they say, oh my goodness, what are we to do? We're beside ourselves. Uh, clearly we, <laughs> we made some mistakes in our lives. And they say, what shall we do? And Peter says in verses 38 and 39, that Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized, which is a great way to follow up a sermon, right? You call for repentance. So he's calling for repentance. He's telling them, you want to know what to do? Repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Spirit. Now, pause for a moment. In case you're tempted to think, and there are some churches that will teach us, some denominations will teach us, well, that was back then. That was 2,000 years ago. That doesn't apply to today. It was great that God did that, and great that God accompanies the spreading of his good news with signs and miracles and speaking in other tongues, being in that same category. But that was so back then, nowadays we don't need that. We don't need the Spirit to go with us. We don't, it's not appropriate for us. It's not, it's not a modern-day thing for us. Um, but if you look at the next one, you'll see that I've got some different fill-in-the-blanks. The Spirit is available to, what does it say there? The fill-in-the-blanks are come and to fill and to empower all current-day disciples. All right, so if you notice, the three fill-in-the-blanks that I've got there are the present tense of the ones we just filled in. The ones that we just filled in were past tense, came, filled, and empowered, past tense. The ones that I have here are present tense, come, fill, and empower, all right? Present tense. Where do I get that? From the very next verse. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 39, Peter voluntarily puts this out there and says this, For the promise is to you, crowd from 2,000 years ago, and to your children, crowd from 2,000 years ago, minus one generation, all right? And to, somebody read it for me. What does it say? Who is listed in the next part? All. All. Who? Who are off. Who are afar off. Does as that include us? In case you're not sure if that includes us. Let that read the rest of it. As many as the Lord our God. As many as the Lord our God will call. Mm-hmm. Does that include you and me? Yes. It does. We are in that category of verse 39. Peter is inspired by the Holy Spirit proclaiming that what you're seeing happening there in Acts chapter 2, not just 2,000 years ago, it's for them, it's for their children, and it's for all. It's for all those who are afar off, all those who are called. That includes us. If you're called by God, if you're a follower of God, if you're a disciple of God, modern-day disciple of God, what is a disciple? Maybe I'm not a disciple. A disciple is a learner or follower of God. If you're a learner or follower of God, you're a disciple of God. You're a modern-day disciple. That applies to you as well. I felt the Holy Spirit today. I was speaking to someone during one of my breaks and just encouraging this person who's a believer. And I, I felt the Holy Spirit just to give me the words to say what I needed to say to her. I love that. And I just knew. I said, okay, God, that was my my appointment. And I didn't even know that. Right. And so I know it was the Holy Spirit. And to a person who modern day has experienced that, yeah. nobody's going to be able to deprive you of that. Because you've experienced it. Mm-hmm. Yet the other person would say, oh, that's not for today. Mm-hmm. Well, they're never going to convince you it's not for today because you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You felt it. You you were there for the experience of it. And they can be too if they just yield their, themselves to the Spirit's work. Absolutely. All right, next one. Next one. We've got to turn to Romans 8 and 9 for this one. Oh, I'm getting excited. Okay. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 14. We need to read the verses first, then fill in the blanks, and then read the verses again to make sure we didn't get it wrong. All right? mm. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Somebody mind reading that. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Ooh, did you catch that? Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, Man. he is not his. Okay, read verse 14. Let's look at verse 14. Somebody mind reading that one. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Excellent. Thank you. So here's what we're going to do then. We're going to fill in the blanks and ask ourselves, are these actually taught in the Bible? So here are the blanks we're filling in. The presence and the leading of the Spirit in our lives is mandatory. That's the big one, right? That's the one. Oh, really? Does the Bible really teach it's mandatory? I think we see it most clearly in verse 9, the second half of verse 9. You see that? Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Is having the Spirit mandatory then? If you're going to be a Christian, yes, it's mandatory. It's mandatory. It's not an option. You don't get to say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those Spirit-filled Christians. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in that whole Spirit thing. I don't believe the Spirit's relevant for today. No, it's not optional. You don't get to pick and choose whether the Spirit gets to come along with you. (laughs) All right? The presence and the leading of the Spirit in our lives is mandatory. Hmm. How about the next one? Romans eight 16. We're not far away. Verse 16, somebody might read that. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Yeah, excellent. So what's the fill in the blanks? Mm, children, children of God. Exactly right. 
The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In case there's ever that time when the devil whispers in your ear, you're not a child of God. Uh, the Spirit is whispering right back, actually yelling right back, yeah, oh, yes, you are. Don't listen to the liar. Listen to the truth teller. All right. How about uh, Romans 8.26? We're in chapter 8. We might as well look at verse 26. What does it say there? Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we all. But the Spirit himself makes intersection for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriella. So your fill in the blanks are, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses by praying for us. You know, it's nice when we can come here and we can pray for one another. It's nice on a Monday or, or a Tuesday morning to know that, oh, my burdens that I'm feeling, I have somebody, I have a group of believers, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, that I can ask to pray for me. It's nice to know that there's a team of brothers and sisters that will come pray for The Spirit is in that capacity as well, praying for us, even when we don't take it to Him. He's behind the scenes praying for us, interceding for us. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses by praying for us. The next one is the Spirit lives within us. You've got a couple passages there we could we could look at, but in the interest of time, uh, I'll encourage you to look at those later. The Spirit lives within us. And then the next one, the Spirit empowers believers with gifts for ministry, just like we saw in the Old Testament passage where the Spirit empowers people to accomplish a task. The Spirit, likewise, empowers us to accomplish what He asks us to do. You've ever heard uh, that phrase that says, the Lord does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. That's kind of the same thing. He empowers us for what he calls us to do. He can call us to do something that we go, I can't do that. You're right, you can't. But the Spirit in you can. All right. So if he calls you to do something, he's got the Spirit to equip you to do what he's called you to do. I think that sometimes we forget that yes. we have the Holy Spirit and we try to do so many things on, in our own power right. and everything. And so just being aware that, you know, God, like you say, God tell he calls you to something and then you just, the Holy Spirit, <laughs> I can only do this in your power. Yeah. May you move forward <laughs> and, you know. And it's hard enough when he calls us to something that we think, I might be able to do that, because then we strive to do it on our own power. But when he calls us to the impossible, impossible if we know we're called to do it, then it's kind of like almost easier. We just throw up our hands and go, this has got to be you then, because I clearly won't be able to do this on my own power. All right, so it helps us in our weakness by praying for us. The Spirit lives within us. The Spirit empowers believers with gifts for ministry. The next one, this is the classic galatians 5 22 and 23 the fruit of the spirit so here the fill in the blank is fruit the spirit produces spiritual fruit in the life of the maturing believer if you look at that list what is the spiritual fruit the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control you should be seeing those things growing in your life if you don't red flag maybe your your fruit is not growing because maybe you're not rooted deep enough in christ or you need that nourishment of the spirit in your life Um, so it's a good gauge of sorts to check and see am i growing is there fruit in my life and if not, then work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, Ask God, please, send your spirit. Guide me in truth. The next one, the spirit can be grieved by our sin. Two different passages for you there. I, I encourage you to look at those later on. The spirit can be grieved by our sin. When we're Christians, does that mean we, we don't sin anymore? That's not what that means. We, we still sin. 
Uh, I had one last week. I felt so bad. Uh, Gabriella witnessed this. I, it was in my courtroom. There was an attorney, and he and I don't get along very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it ended up turning into just this thing that I, I'm ashamed in the way I behaved. And, um, yeah, I, I look at it as sin because I feel like I could have done better in that situation. Yeah, we continue to sin. We continue to fail. We continue to miss the mark. And then the final one, we got to turn to Revelation 22, verse 17 for this one. Revelation chapter 22 is the very last chapter of the Bible. In fact, verse 17 is very much near the end of that chapter. Uh, So we're looking at a verse that's literally near the very end of the entire what we have in Scripture in our hands. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. Somebody mind reading us, uh, reading this one. The Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Excellent. Thank you, LeVette. So here are the fill in the blanks for this one. The Spirit invites us to come closer to God. And that's one of His ministries in our lives. You know, I I saw in high school, we went to visit a a church that I'd never been to. Our youth group went to their youth group. And on the wall, they had had a saying on the wall that, that I've always remembered. And it said, everybody has as much of God as they want. And at first, I I rebelled against that. I thought, no, I don't. I want God more. Well, if you want God more, then you would press in more. (laughs) And then you would receive more. Mm -hmm. The Spirit invites us to come closer. We can always come closer to God. There's more room for us to come closer to God. So the very last chapter of the Bible encouraging us by showing that the Spirit is involved in the invitation to come. The Spirit invites us to come closer to God. And with that, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. And we've we've jumped from Genesis to Revelation, from chapter 1 of Genesis to chapter 22 of Revelation, just a jet tour of the Spirit. The Spirit in the New Testament, which we're often familiar with, and the Spirit in the Old, which sometimes uh, we think not so active. But we see, Lord, you're the same yesterday and today and forever. That your Spirit has always been there empowering followers of God that we can have access to the Spirit. In fact, it's mandatory in our lives that we have the Spirit empowering us, equipping us, leading us in truth, bringing to our minds the recollection of what we've learned, helping us to do things that by all other measures would be impossible. It's by your Spirit that we're able to continue along in this path, this walk, this Christian life. And we pray that you would help us to recognize it's not so much about our power as much as it's about the power of the Spirit in us. Thank you for sending us the Comforter, the Helper. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys have a great week.